Hello, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Daily Durag. And today, I have my co-host, the beautiful Exacia. Exacia, say hey. This is one of the only times he's ever called me beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so nervous. Like people can see me. Um, right. I'm about to say, what you nervous? I look cute today, anyway. But my name's Exacia. Last name Lawson Mays. Um, I'm 22. I'm a Gemini. I'm studying um, hu- human engineering, so I made my own major, and it like combines biology, Pan African studies, psychology, business, and engineering, and political science, and. Um, yeah, I think that I'm from a small town, and this is my fifth year at UofL, and hopefully I'll be out of here soon. Is that it? You want me to say? Yeah, that's so. Um, hopefully not out of here. Like, well, you're going to be out of here in spring, right? I'm trying to be out, out in, like, less than two months. <sighs> She's going to be leaving me behind, so. Well, okay. So today we are here, and we are discussing a topic that is – Sort of taboo for the black community. So, I mean, it's taboo for pretty much anybody because a lot of people like to sweep it under the rug. But mental health, which is just, like I said, something that a lot of people sweep under the rug. It's something that people would re- just rather not talk about. And it's something that really does need to be discussed. And need um, the conversation around it needs to be uh, normalized because a lot of the issues and demons and all that other good mm-hmm. stuff that you see with people and their behavior usually has to do with some form of um, a mental issue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess let's get started with like both me and Xavier's like background. And like mental health. Um, I know for me, um, growing up, like I, both of my families Especially um, growing up in a small southern town, um, mental health and having mental issues wasn't necessarily something that was talked about. Um, and back, I don't think, I know for me growing up, I always associated therapy with like being crazy. Mm. Um, and so. Like psych ward, your arms are tied to your well, chest type stuff, yeah. Exactly. Like I always associated, like, if somebody's going to therapy, like, damn, you. Yeah. You know? And I was also, I used to also want to be one of those people, one of those old suicide selfish people and everything because I didn't know much about suicide. I didn't know much about therapy. Um, and then I know for myself, uh, things happened with me growing up. And I always, it was one of those things, um, especially being a boy. And especially a black boy, it was kind of like um, a mindset of, oh, you know, suck it up, kind of. And um, I know, and I know my aunts and uncles, like whenever, because my family is also military. So not only 
were my was my family dynamic constantly changing because people were constantly <laughs> getting divorced and remarried <laughs> and people were constantly having babies and everything else. My family was military, so therefore every two to three years we were up and moving. And so I know my aunts and uncles, they were worried. They were like, well, how is this? And I know they were asking my mom, like, how is this affecting Jay? And my mom would be like, oh, he's fine. And, you know, because I was a very social and outgoing person, um, it was always assumed <laughs> that I was fine because I would, you know, wherever we would go, I'd make friends and I'd adjust myself. But, I mean, it was hard. And, I mean, I became, I've always been a social person, but I became more of an outgoing and social person because I had to. And I did not like my dynamic at home either. And so I pretty much had no choice. I had to be, I had to make friends and be kind of attached to those friends because I, you know, I didn't want to go home and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't realize is like your actions, like how you feel emotionally will come out through your actions. Like it'll jump out. So like you feeling like, oh, you're not getting, getting the attention at home. Of course, you're going to be like, well, you're gonna like go overboard when it comes to like interacting with people. That's natural, and so for you, it's not a negative thing. But for some people, like it's detrimental to right. their whole like life, and they want to choose not to explore like the, the emotional things that happened. Exactly, and like I know for me, I used to always get in trouble because of talking and stuff like that. But they, um, like my teachers, would see it as like a pros and a cons mm-hmm. type of thing. Like they would tell my mom, like, okay, he's talking during class. Like he's not, <laughs> he's not shutting up during class. We gotta get, you know, we gotta. Uh, do something about this but at the same time they would tell her okay he also needs to be on the forefront of different things because he's talking um at a level that we're talking at as Mm -hmm. teachers not as a fifth grader or a fourth grader and so it was stuff like that and like my mom she i would get in trouble i would just get in trouble for like you know the getting in trouble at school part and like you just said like most Nobody really saw it as a coping mechanism. It was always just assumed of, oh, he just has a big personality. Mm. Um, and then I got older, and um, once I got to college, other things started manifesting. It wasn't just the big personality. It was drinking and fighting and everything else because the stuff I had been through in earlier years had not been um, properly dealt with. And so... Um, I got into a situation at EKU and court, and I had to go to court mandated therapy. And I had to go to anger management or else I was going to be kicked out of school and put into jail and all that other good stuff. Um, and I was very reluctant. Was Does Bridget listen to this? Huh? Does Bridget listen to this? She ain't listened to it yet. And I. Uh... I <laughs> She ain't listened to it yet because um, there was a whole lot of cussing in the first couple of episodes. Mm. So I'm like, I don't know Bridget. But she wants to, but Yikes. I will see. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, I when I they first told me I would have to um, go to, I had to go to anger management and I had to go to alcohol abuse counseling. Um, and I was very, very reluctant. I didn't want to do it because once again, I was still in the mindset of, if you're going to therapy, you're crazy. And in my opinion, at the time, there was nothing wrong. There was, you know, what I was doing wasn't wrong. So I, it, well, not necessarily what I was doing wasn't wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I didn't think of it as, oh, 
I'm doing it because of an inner issue. It was just to me was I've just been getting drunk and acting out. Mm, I think lots of black kids internalize getting in trouble with like um like they confuse that with love because if your parents are always like working a nine to five or they're working like the night shift or something like that the most the times that you get their one 100 undivided attention is when you get in trouble like they don't come to school for i mean your science for whatever whatever but they'll come to school to straighten you out and so it's like do i want my mom present in my life yes and so subconsciously it's like i know that if i like do this one thing even though she's told me a thousand one times like and that progresses up into like people continuing to like getting like falling susceptible to like um like crime and other things whenever they, they get older because my grandma's riding for me, the whole hood's riding for me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you have the most love and attention you could have ever asked for. Why would you tell someone to give that up? It's hard. Right. So. And I know that that was one thing for me too when I was growing up and um, not like little, but like, you know, just growing up progressively. There were things, you know, my mom, she was dealing with, you know, she worked a regular nine to five job um, for the government and she was dealing with things in the household that we were in married to was abusive, not physically, but verbally and emotionally. And so for me, um, the stuff that I did get from her was usually like negative. It usually wasn't um, very positive. And so it was like getting in trouble or something like that. So there were times that like I would do things and in the back of my head I'd be like, I know I'm going to get caught for this and I know that this is wrong, but I and so you're right it was one of those things where that was really the only time on that was that was the only time we spent oh you know some type of time together or unless it was we were spending time together because she just needed to get away from her mm-hmm. husband at the time and in that moment in time that was fine you know for us spending time together but it wasn't really about me or anything that I was going through. It was more of she needed somebody to vent to, mm-hmm. listen to that she didn't want to do with my family because she knew that they'd be up there in a minute and be ready to act up. Um, but you don't get that space to vent. And it's weird because you'll be like 10 years old and you're your parents' best friend right. and you have all that responsibility, but also like, I'm supposed to still see you as a parent too. Right. Yeah. And then what made it even worse was my mom was a traditional parent to where it was like, what happens in this house stays mm-hmm. in this house. So I was her best friend, and, you know, she leaned on me, but I also could not tell about things that were going on mm-hmm. in the household. And so it, it, I was, you know, there was a lot of things that went on. And then even outside of the household, I took that mindset of, okay, what goes on, I don't need to be talking about it. And so there was a situation when I was 13 where I was sexually assaulted. And I did not tell anyone... I don't think I confided anyone about to anyone about that situation until I turned 16 or 17. Uh, and I told my mother, and that was <laughs> that was not a conversation, it was an argument, and it came out, and she was distraught, and she did not, she questioned her own parenting and questioned herself and everything, and she was like, I don't know how I missed this, and da da. And at the time, I just didn't have the gumption enough to tell her, well, it was because I couldn't talk to you during, you know, that period of time. Mm-hmm. So how was I supposed to tell you? I couldn't come and talk to you about getting a C in class. How was I supposed yo, to tell you? <laughs> I know this isn't about black parenting, but yo, it's so hard whenever you become so knowledgeable about Ooh. life and emotions and stuff, and you don't have the heart to tell your parents. Like, I don't think you are a terrible parent. Right. However, like, 
how am I 21 dealing with all these emotional issues? I've barely been alive. Okay. <laughs> like, it's funny because me and my mom, my mom and I were having a conversation uh, when I went home for spring break. And she was like, because um, a situation went on with a friend of mine. And then it, there's an ongoing situation that's going on with my cousin. And my mom was like, I don't know what's going on with y'all. She's like, I, you know, what? It, all this emotional issues and everything. I don't know what's going on with y'all. And I'm like, mom. And we had a very real conversation in the car and I said, it's y'all. Like, mm-hmm. it, I was like, not all of it is y'all, but I know the situation that has stemmed from me and my cousin, mm-hmm. this started from y'all, no offense. And I was trying to say that as nicely as possible, but this that's where the base of this situation comes from. And that's where a lot of... Um, a lot of young black kids, the base of their emotional issues and emotional trauma and everything else, the basis of them needing to go to therapy and needing to see a therapist started at home. Yeah, I mean, parents will be like, I don't want you hanging out with so-and-so because you'll start acting like them. But once you're older and you have emotional issues, who were you around right. the entire time growing up? Your family. Right. <laughs> so like, they don't want to put that one together. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's really weird. I know my mom, um, I was telling her that I was going to a therapist Number one, she was not with it. Even my biological father and why I chose to tell him, I'm not sure. He was like, you can talk to me. Negro, <laughs> you've barely been in my life. Like, I mean, I've seen him less times than, like less than 10 times in my life. So it's like, that was extra and excessive. And they also put that whole like Christian spin, like God's gonna do X, Y, and Z. Y'all get headaches and you take aspirin. So why can't I go to a therapist right. like you go to a doctor? And so she was, I was telling her that I was on depression medicine, anxiety medicine. And then I had this like big breakdown over the summer and she like, had this like just feeling that I was upset about life and then came and visited me like spare the moment and we like stayed in a hotel and stuff for, for me to like have this getting away experience and she was like do those medicines actually work and I was like girl I'm not sure I would be alive if they didn't work like it just why do you why do you think that these things are fake whenever like I don't know so I think it's really hard to like articulate those things especially if you have are in your parents insurance like if you want to go see therapy but you can't it's just like that's really tough a tough conversation but my mom is on board now and like I have like meta, Medicare insurance or Medicaid or whatever. My parents, my family has insurance. And so I have this one because they don't claim me on their taxes or whatever. But she was like, I don't want there to be like anything stopping you from being able to get the therapy that you want because like this one definitely covers your therapist. And when that happened, I was like, oh, a change. But yeah, it's black parents really to make it hard for you to like be your best self. Right. And you know, with, with, I guess what is disheartening when it comes down to having that it's not that you're saying, oh, you were a bad parent or you didn't do what you needed to do for me. It's just, you know, these negative things, all the positive things that you did for me also came with these negative mm-hmm. things. And, you know, typically, unfortunately, when you bring that to a black parent, it's, well, I did the best I could for you and, and nobody's saying that you mm-hmm. did But mm-hmm. this is the thing that happened. And unfortunately, in most um, black families, which is there are these generational curses. Mm-hmm. So with some of our parents, with a lot of our parents, it's not even their fault that they are bringing this, that have done this to us, or you know, this has happened with us. They didn't know any better mm-hmm. because they learned how to be a parent from their parents, mm-hmm. and they're copying the same behaviors that their parents did. And mm-hmm. you know, our parents, um, I know at least with my parents, they came from a generation. My parents are a little bit older, and so not a little. 
And so they came from a generation where it was like, if they came from the generation where it was like, um, put all that to the side and you need to get some work done, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was born in um, 58. And so, you know, she ex- and born in 58 and born and raised in Alabama. So as a black woman um, and being raised, I mean, my Nana and Papa were both all, you know, in the home. There was never a time where it was just, well, no. There was a time where my mom was just being raised by my Nana. But for the most part, she was in a household with my Nana and Papa, her parents. And, um, <laughs> but for the most part, it was my Nana doing most of the work. And so there was, and not only that, there was six of them. And in, you know, the 60s and 70s, that was pretty, you know, unheard of for middle class. And my grandparents did not have any education for real at all. My papa only made it to the seventh grade and my Nana only had a high school education. And so they really did not have any form of education. And so at that point in time, um, you know, there was not much to go off of based off of emotional intelligence and all that other stuff. And so they really didn't have a chance to um, think about, well, how is this affecting me or anything like that? They only knew I have to do this and that to make it and I have to continue to work to make it and everything. And you know, my mom has told me constantly, um, my main goal was to make your name a prop. And that's, I mean, my mom has done that 10 times over. But unfortunately, she never took the time to think, okay, my mother was a wonderful woman and she did these wonderful things. How did some of this stuff that happened when I was growing up affect me though? Yeah, I know my, my granny, that's so wild. She was, um, I think like one of 11 and one of the youngest too. And she ended up getting tuberculosis when she was a kid. And like, they just like sent her off like to, to live with some other family. She like, I think she lived in Louisville for a little bit when she had tuberculosis. But like they, I'm, things were scarce with them. And then when she married my papa, who was apparently the best looking man in Cadiz back in the day, and he was reckless as heck, but he like shared with me the last time I was home that he, his dad left the house for uh, an extended period of time and he really suffered. And he was like out here, like, I mean, just really like running the streets. And he had an uncle who sat him down and was like, you're gonna kill your mom if you don't stop. And so his dad ends up coming back and he said like, he always wishes that he would have had that relationship with his dad. Well, let's trickle that down. Like he ends up being verbally and physically and mentally abusive to not only my grandma, but like my aunts and uncles and stuff, my mom. And so like, that's the lifestyle that they grew up in, like not an emotional house at all. And like, after all the trauma they would go through, if they, um, like every Christmas, they would have the absolute best gifts for Christmas. And so like the way that they knew and experienced love was like based on like materialistic things. And so it wasn't like, no, I love you, no hugs, no kisses is like, even when they were doing homework, like hitting them with spoons when they got like the math problems wrong. And their education isn't even like, my papa is super, super smart. My grand, I'm not saying my granny's dumb, but like he is, he's smart. But like the whole, that there's so much punishment and not enough like affirmation. And so I was telling my mom like, at one point in high school, I was like, how come, after like seeing some of my friends interact with the parents, I was like, how come like, you don't ever tell us that you love us? Or like, oh, there's no like hugs, no kisses, no none of that stuff. And um, we just talked about the fact that she didn't grow up that way. And so I'm, my friends think that I'm emotionally reserved. Like my mom is super emotionally reserved. And like, it has taken everything for me to come out of my shell and like want to share my feelings with people. But like, it, like Jesse was saying, like a generational curse and it's just like 
every generation that's been like in my lineage like no one shares their emotions and no one knows how to love people and so now I came to college like a girl who did not know her sense of worth because I was doing all these things academic wise and like I was a cheerleader and like I was just excelling at everything that I could and winning all these awards because those were the times that like my parents would come to school and like be super happy or like they would brag about me about those things and so even now they say like it's not those things that like we love about you I have to like explain to them like because of how you were raised that is how you show love to me the most and that's why I've been like trained to like think that my value is rooted in how other people like view my successes and not like what I actually want and I think that's another thing that like parents don't do is like they work so hard to make sure they provide for the kids and like maybe their family like family and parents but like they never sit down and think what kind of life do I want to live and so it becomes hard whenever you come of age and you're like maybe I want to live for myself and not live for someone else and that was the same um it's funny that you said that because it was the same situation in my mom's household um if you ask any of her brothers and sisters um they always used to have amazing Christmases Easter's and everything else but my mom has told me multiple times on multiple occasions um, my papa would be gone partying and stuff like that from Wednesday to Monday and she'd be like we wouldn't see him we wouldn't know where he was she was like I can't even think and my mom she um, played the flute and that's how she um, got a scholarship to college that's how she um, was able to go to college and I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in the marching band and she got a scholarship that's how she was able to go to school and so she has told me multiple times, there was never one time I looked up in the stands and your papa was there. Mm. And so she was like, your Nana was there every single time. She was just like, but there was never not one time she, that he was there. But the, I, he was there for other things, but the things that you could tell that meant the most to them, he was not there. Um, and so for them as well, a lot of the stuff that they do is um, rooted in um, like materialistic. Like, even to this day, if my mom is proud of me, it, like, when I come home, I can tell my mom is proud of me because she takes me out and we go shopping. She'll buy me a pair of shoes and she'll buy me outfits or something like that. But sometimes I just want to hear, like, oh, you did a good job mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, I know me and her got into the biggest argument we've ever gotten into when I hosted um, the Homecoming Step Show because her reaction to me was, and, and you know, if you know me, then you know Posting stuff is like the, I love doing that. That's what I love doing. Um, And so, and anybody, and all of my friends know that that's something that I love to do. And so when I told my mom, it was like, oh, well, okay. She was like, how, she was like, how, how is that affecting like your academic life? And I was like, why did that have anything to do with anything? But when she got here to, to see me do it, she went out and um, we uh, she was paying for this, that, and the third. She paid for um, she I paid for my outfit, but she reimbursed me for the money for the outfit. And she was like, "Okay, well, do you need this? Do you need that for this?" Da 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 da. da. And that's her. That was, I guess, her way of showing me um, that you know she was proud of me for doing that. Mm-hmm. But it's funny how um, those certain things affect one person and affect another person differently. Because yeah. my mom is a specific way, but my aunt Denise is a, they are like polar opposites. Uh, my aunt Denise came here and she she is very big on words of affirmation. And I think um, me and my aunt Denise are very, very close. Um, and it's funny because um, my family always makes fun of us because 
My mom is very close to my cousin Sydney, but I am very close to my auntie Louise because my mom's personality is similar, more similar to my cousin Sydney, and I'm more similar to my auntie Louise. My auntie Louise is very big. She has a very big personality and everything like that, and so she was ecstatic that I was doing something like this. And when she came here, you could just see it all over her face that she was just ecstatic to see me, and she was just ecstatic to see that I was doing this thing, and she was just so excited. And um, you know, when I was growing up, she was definitely a big help. Her and my mommy were definitely big helps because um, they knew that I needed that type of stuff. Mm. And, you know, they gave it to me. Mm. Um, but I, I, all, every time I think about stuff like that, uh, my mommy is my great grandmother. Uh, every time I think about stuff like that, I do get a, I do get sad as well. It's a bittersweet feeling because I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to have those people who provided me with that, you know, what I needed. Um, but not everybody is that fortunate. Um, and there are people who feel like, um, there are people who feel like, well, I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have any, you know, anybody to turn to. And they don't. And that's usually how, you know, a lot of people like R. Kevin, uh, <laughs> y'all's favorite singer, um, get I mean, I'll say, like, um, my interests are very diverse. It is a Gemini thing, and also I have ADHD that I just got <laughs> diagnosed. Well, let's, like, include, like, when it comes to mental health, getting diagnosed with, like, ADHD or, like, going to a therapist and them letting you know, like, maybe you have bipolar disorder or, like, schizophrenia, whatever it is. Like, those things are okay to have. I feel like people fear, um, like, getting a diagnosis of something and, like, feeling like their life is going to be over, but, like, and I was talking to my friend Charlotte about this. When it comes to things like depression and anxiety, they're not things that you actually ever, like, get over. It's just something that, like, you deal with for the rest of your life and, like, learn how best to, like, kind of cope with it because some of the emotional things are, like, that deeply rooted. And so some people, like, can, like, have, like, spells in their life where they are out of it for a long period of time, Not everybody, like, but not everybody does. And so when it comes to, like, things like um, being bipolar or schizophrenic or OCD or whatever – you will if you have those things now you choosing not to go to a doctor to deal with them does not remove the fact that you have those things like if you have these feelings like you need to talk to someone you not talking about it doesn't remove like the trauma and so I know that like when it comes to like my interest and stuff I will call my mom um and I'll be like well I'll have an attitude if she hasn't called me in a while but um I'll be like oh yeah I'm like doing this doing this doing this and she doesn't know how to properly react to the things that I'm excited about doing. And so for the most part, like, I don't share with her, like, my big, biggest goals and things that I really want to do. Like, she's excited for graduation and stuff, but a part of me is like, I've had to struggle so much these five years to do this. And, like, you get to slide in, you and the family, on graduation day and be so happy and proud of me. But, like, y'all, like, I feel like I barely, like, live to make the graduation. And when I leave the stage, like, even more, like, stress and trauma. Well, not trauma, but even more stress. And so it's like, I see my therapist, um, it was weekly up until, like, this last time because she said I need to get some stuff done so she made it two weeks but um like I see her weekly and we she's really good she doesn't like use pen and paper I'm not trying to hate on anybody who does and she like remembers every single thing that I say and it's a conversation and like I when I'm excited about something like there's this new new thing that I'm embarking on like in a couple months and I was telling her about it and to some people it would sound like downright foolish and she was like okay so like what are the steps and so I don't get that like excitement and like 
joyous thing from my family and they're a work in progress like I accept them for like where they're at like you can't change everyone like Jesse's able to like have these conversations with his mother and even if it's not the first conversation where they like get over things it like seems to come but for some people like you may not be able to like break through that threshold and if that's what it is like accept like your family your friends for like who they are and what they can give you and like go get that other stuff somewhere else like the Lord never said well the universe like never dictated I don't know what y'all believe never dictated that like the people that you're around have to be permanent like never uh-uh you were just born here and so like feel free to like get the things that you need like it's I don't know you have like bodily needs like you need like protein water blah 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 like you wouldn't like keep begging protein to make you hydrated like no like you get the things that you need do you have any advice for those who don't have the um, I don't I don't know what phrase I would use but who don't feel comfortable to um with having that conversation with their parents yet like what should they do um, if you can, I would say if you can go without having the conversation with them, like that would be better because if you are at a point where you're very emotional and you're like ready to talk to someone like therapy wise, having a conversation with someone who is against it will do nothing but like deter you. And so, um, I know like whenever I was first talking to my mom about it, she was like not with it at all. And so I made, made me think like, maybe I should not be doing this, but like if stay in an environment with people who like are supportive of those things and if you like don't have anyone like you can like hit me or Jesse up but like do go through the process like UofL has a counseling center and even though the wait list can be long like it's worth that time and there are also online like counseling um, like things where you can like FaceTime in with someone and like they can like start out like a regular treatment plan for you and even like diagnose you with things and, like prescribe you medication and so like there are so many avenues but I would like make it a personal journey first because the last thing you need is like someone like if your parents are on board like you don't need them like harping down your throat about like exactly what's going on in therapy because you need that space to yourself do you feel like so since you you've had you had what was the process like for you at least because I know for me um, unfortunately, and it's something that as of recently I've been thinking about starting back up um, with going to therapy. Um, I know for me, I kind of just, it was kind of just a, um, when it happened, it was, I was put with one person and I just, I didn't seek out others. I didn't mm -hmm. like go and, you know, test them out and everything. And I, I have talked to other people who have been to therapy and they all tell me it's a process to find. Yeah. Uh, the the right therapist to be with. How would you give? Some, would what advice would you give for somebody who's going out and is looking for one? Mm, well, my therapist right now is my soulmate, <laughs> and I feel like you can find the love of your life for real. But I um I started going to therapy when I was a sophomore because of like some sexual assault events, and I hate that the word is plural for me. But I was like, okay, I need to go to therapy because I was like really just down and out like sleeping hours and on hours and on hours like throughout the day and like being like I was super sick so my anxiety would like make me sick to my stomach to where I couldn't even go to class and um, it was just really bad so I was like let me go to therapy and I was like I mean really just at one of my lowest of lows and I was like Lord like really you can really just take me out and I don't have to even worry about this stuff but you know he said no nah, go ahead keep going and so I called the counseling center and they put me with um like one of the Spalding students I guess she was like studying to become a therapist and she was like a young white female however when I would talk about things with my family she did not have the ability to like bridge the gap between her experiences and like mine like you like she was giving advice from what she just studied in her books and her like personal life not saying like my family is like this but like she didn't understand the dynamic I was talking about and um I just felt 
really weird and she was like i don't want to diagnose you with depression or anxiety because i feel like those are just really harsh so we can just we'll go through these motions and she was telling me to download this like meditation app and like do these other things before we got to that point and i was thinking like girl like do you i'm here because i'm at a very low point and i guess the other part of me that is tough is like i don't know how to show my emotion like share things very easily but she didn't make the environment like comfortable enough for me to do that so I guess appearing to her like if you like looked at my grades and my like what I was majoring in my scholarship and all those other things like girl you just like are going through a tough time like you know like when you see on people say like oh my gosh I'm so depressed I'm so sad that's what I think she thought that I was and I was like no sis like life really is just really terrible and so then I stopped going to her and um I had like missed an appointment I missed like one of the appointments and then she emailed me and was like hey Xaisha um I'm not sure if like you want to stick with treatment but maybe you should find someone else blah 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 and I was done with therapy until the next summer and I went to the counseling center again and I went to a woman named I'm gonna say her name it was like Gupta or something like that she um is a person of color and uh there was like sexual assault event that had happened and I was telling her about it and I was sobbing in the my therapist's office and she gave me this piece of paper about how to like handle anxiety do y'all think that i'm gonna carry a piece of paper around in my wallet and like pull it out whenever i get anxious and piece of paper with highlights like so did you give this to someone else and they gave it back i don't know and so then y'all she gone she told me and i'm five two i weigh like 125 pounds and i mean very petite and she um skinny skinny she told me um because it was an athlete he was tall whatever whatever she told me that i need to be careful about who i hang around because um i don't need to be around people who are bigger than me because it's like not putting me in a safe situation i was shocked because if you know anything about sexual assault that's the one thing that you don't tell someone and i was like i didn't feel comfortable enough like telling her that i was offended so the next week i come back and i was like you really like offended me when you said this and she was like oh i'm sorry that's not what i meant i just meant that like you know you're a small person and you need to be able to defend yourself like so like being around bigger people is just not a good idea. You know, I'm a small person too, blah blah blah. Yeah, I think a bigger person does not also get sexual I mean, and she was just she was wild and I was like I was thinking, you know, you being a person of color, you like I thought that you would understand me better, but I'm out of here. And so I went from her to a woman named Michelle who's black and she's at the counseling center and is the best counselor that U of O has. And she was like really like with me eye to eye and she was like, Okay, Xaisha, you're going through the same thing you went through your sophomore year. Do you wanna be at that low point again? And I was like, Of course not And so she was like um, so maybe we should go with the diagnosis of depression and anxiety and maybe you should get medication. And I was, I mean, and I'm the biggest advocate for medication now, but at that point I was like, yeah, Michelle, I'm not really sure about this. And so what she did was like, she put it in my hands and she was like, if you want, I want you to get medication because you can't continue to like, you can't continue to expect different results if you don't add anything else to the equation. And so I thought that if I just kept going to therapy that I'd be fine. And she was like, no, there are, these two things together would work really well for you. So I waited a couple of weeks and I scheduled an appointment with like the campus health and I was seeing a psych and he like re- like did this like test thing and he prescribed me medicine. And he was like, it takes a month to work. And y'all, that month sucks because you think about like, am I getting happier? Do I feel better? You don't know. But eventually like as that semester like progressed, I started like getting I was just like becoming just really, really good, but it was like a gradual good and not like a, there's never a time where like there's a light switch that flips when you're on medication and you're like, whoa, but my life is the best it's ever been and it's the best it ever will be and like things are just gonna be great and you stay that way for forever. Like that's not how it works. You still have up days and down days, but it just helps you keep like, it helps you like base be a lot higher. And so then I left them because Michelle gets booked up a lot and I don't want to see a therapist once a month because I have issues every week and I called um, I just like found I went to someone else to get diagnosed with ADHD because U of L will not diagnose you with ADHD for anything because they think that everyone's lying. Oh, I did not know that. Gupta is the person that you go to to get diagnosed with ADHD, and I would tell her several times like I have issues like focusing, blah blah blah, and she's like, I'm not sure that you really need that. 
And I have very severe adult ADHD, y'all. And so, yeah, so I went to a woman named Katie, and I will be honest, like, I was on this website looking for people, and I was like, I want someone who's not going to play me. And she had her picture. She had, um, like, a pic. Like, if you think about how, like, aunties take their pictures with uh, the camera up at a, an angle, and she had red hair, and it was short, and Bob, and she, she's a white woman. I was like, she's going to be real. And she is real. And so she prescribed my medicine, and then um, I asked her if she knew a therapist, and she was telling me that I don't need to see a normal therapist, that I need to see a trauma therapist. And so then... I go to Jennifer now. She like recommended Jennifer, and Jennifer is also a psycho. She does psychoanalyzing too. Um, so that is my little journey. And I've been with Jennifer and Katie since um, last April, and I get to see Jennifer this Thursday. Yeah, heard, I've heard you talk about a lot about, a lot about Jennifer. And it's all been pretty positive stuff. I mean, well, I don't think she's all everything to me. Um, Jennifer likes you for some reason because every time I'm like, girl, I'm ready to cut off all my friends, she'll be like, she really, like, she saves you a lot. Like, the reason we're so, I'm telling you, she'll be like, so what did Jesse do wrong? And I'll be like, I mean, I just don't understand why. And she'll be like, but you remember whenever you shared this and when you shared this? And I'll be like, huh, so, like, what is it then? Like, she really be advocating for black men in that space. She really does. And I tell her, you can chill. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this. Um, do you feel like because I know, you know, I see the advocation for um, black therapists and black um, psychiatrists and everything on um, on Twitter a lot. Mm-hmm. That do you think that it makes a difference as a black person if they go to see a therapist or a psychiatrist who is also a black person? Mm, Michelle was really good to me whenever I was seeing her but there was this like and I had this very like um mom-ish vibe like an auntie vibe like I felt like she like really expected a lot out of me and there was a, a piece of me that I was afraid of sharing things with her because I was like is she gonna judge me for this um and when I'm in the space with Jennifer who Jennifer is white there is no topic that I've discussed when it comes to like race or like even like my attraction to like some men versus other men she is very unbiased with all of it and like helps me see things in a greater perspective. And also I like grew up in a predominantly white town. So like a lot of my like interests and things like that are very, like people don't say like white people have a culture, but like it's like white-ish culture. And so we had a thing where I was talking about like my friendships and I was like, it's weird because I have these interests that none of my friends actually have at all. Like my, like the music that I like to listen to or like the, the games or the TV shows that I watch, like I can't talk to them about the books. And she was saying like, maybe you should get more friends who are in engineering school, you know? And so depending on your therapist, like if you go to a black therapist, they may be so gung-ho on like you, like accepting this like blackness that they will push you towards like um, becoming a false representation of yourself and in order for you to like be more black if that makes sense and so like sometimes it's not about when you're like having this identity issue it's not about like discovering who you are like as in this race like sometimes like you just need to be like who is jesse like take everything else away like who is jesse you know and like who is exatia and so i need to see who i was outside of like being a black woman and then i can step into that role and be like okay these are the things that i bring to the table i will say though for black men you know i'm not sure who y'all need to go to because there are too many people that really, really, really baby black men. And it's just, y'all can do wrong. Y'all can do wrong. And that's just the thing. Like, I have friends who have gone to therapists and they have been with, like, black male therapists. And it's just, especially if they aren't um, knowledgeable about things that are going on in 2019 or also even accepting 
of the fact that people live very different lifestyles when it comes to their sexuality and stuff, it can just be a toxic environment. Or if they like have one definition of what it means to be masculine and you come in and they don't know how to like address that. And so I just like find it like from people who I've heard from their experiences with like black male therapists is just, they just don't, they don't have the same emotional capacity as other therapists just in general, so. See, what's interesting, it's interesting that you say that um, because I, one of the reasons um, I stopped going to my therapist, well, when I stopped going because I completed the time I needed to complete the solid Yikes. <laughs> um, but another one of the reasons I stopped going is because I did have, I my um, therapist wasn't black. And mm. um, it wasn't solely that she wasn't black, but it was because some of the things that I was telling her she reacted with kind of like a shock mm-hmm. value kind of thing. Um, whereas at one point in time, right before, so right before I went, um, right before I like got out of high school, uh, when my mom was going through, I know there's another reason why she can't get it because I'm just here telling all of the people. Um, after she went through her divorce, she went to a therapist. And because she was just going through a lot, and I think she finally realized all the things that and so at the time me and her were just going through it we were just um, I was dealing with a lot of things this was senior year so I was dealing with a lot she was dealing with a lot and we just could not get along and so um, we both went and one of the issues one of the reasonings like I said behind me stopped going to the therapist um, the therapist that I was in Richmond is because the stuff that I told her about, she had re- she reacted with shock. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I went the first time to, and my mom's therapist was a black woman, mm-hmm. it was all, like she her reaction was not with shock. It was kind of like I mean she helped she was helping me through it, but it wasn't with shock. The stuff that I was telling her to her, it was like it wasn't new. Right. There are some black, like we were just talking about like abuse and that's so big in black right. communities and be like you saying like, yeah, my mom was like physically or like you said she was like mentally and emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. You, we don't like, this is not the space for us to like debrief about like that abuse. Like right. that's crazy. Yeah. But like we're here from with me and I think like that culture difference is, um, I think that's significant, but also like if you were to say like exactly what kind of therapist should I go to? I would say like a black woman yeah. be only because I think like people should see like just take a second and think who are the most impactful people in your life like the people that you've always like gone to and they will be the ones you're most comfortable with like and I think about like your grandma and like your aunt Denise like those types of women that's what the energy that you would like need to be able to be open but like how comfortable would you be like like sharing about your sexual assault with a black man and you're you're absolutely correct you're absolutely correct because I know with me um, one of the things that actually um, my mom's therapist um, way back even when um, I saw her and I only saw I only went to go see her three different times um, and that was a whole other reason why I stopped going to go see her but um, I only went to go see her three times and I remember on that third time she told me that I had a issue with male authority mm. and she was like she said we were going to get into it of course I never went back so we never did but you're right if I was to go to a black male therapist um, it probably would not be as beneficial to me as if I went to a woman there, a black woman there. 
and that could just be like at this point in your life like where you are now but like i know I, like i'm thinking about some of our friends like i feel like cheatham could go to a black male therapist yeah. you know mm-hmm. and like he would be fine but i just that like it's like your emotional capacity and emotional intelligence like you are a highly emotional person and you need someone who can accept that and not ridicule you for and like or even if they don't ridicule it's that the energy in the space like it's hard to like get rid of that dominance and i maybe it's because i didn't really have a dad either like i'm what do you want me to say like (laughs) and i think i think like thinking in terms of the black community um in my opinion Depending upon the area you come from, I think that plays a big role in it. Mm-hmm. I think that if, like, a person coming from, because I came from a majority black background, and so for me, I think that was also one of my other issues was that my white therapist, I really couldn't relate to her mm-hmm. on most levels because we, uh, I, I just couldn't. With the black woman therapist that I had, it was more of like I was having a conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with her. We That's were, how Jennifer is too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were having a conversation. It wasn't like I'm just talking and you're listening mm-hmm. to me and everything else. It was just like me and you sitting down and having a conversation. And so I feel like in most, um, I feel like in most majority black areas, a black therapist. Put um, possibly a black woman there because I'm not going down black male. Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah. They're not. It just depends on like what you need as a person. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it, it's a situational situ. Uh, it's a person by person basis as to what you need. But I definitely am a big advocate for like black ther black therapists, especially if you come from a majority mm-hmm. black background, because usually. They the stuff that you have gone through, either they've gone through it themselves or they are very familiar with it. So it's not a shock. To them. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to sit down and, you know, have just a simple conversation. Right. And that's not downing any therapist because honestly, at the end of the day, if you feel like you need to go to a therapist, if you feel like you're having, you know, any type of mental issue um, or mental health issue or mental health problem you should go talk to somebody yeah. it, should, it should be some it should be something um that is normalized and everything and i mean if you have friends or family that you know is going to ridicule you or you know that is not going to agree with your decision at the end of the day you have to do what's best for you you know yeah it really and this is a controversial opinion that i have that i don't know if anybody else will agree with but it when thinking about um the situation with that boy who committed suicide, the who had the colostomy bag, it was like a couple months ago. Yes, yeah, boy. from yes. Louisville. Yeah. Oh. So um, the thing that really, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard the story was, um, and this is, and I'm gonna say this up front, I am not saying his mother is a bad mother, they are bad parents. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, whenever he would come home and like complain about like being choked or punched or like, like ridiculed at school, at no point, like from what I'm aware of, was like therapy like a huge part of like his. Uh, how like he was 
being pushed to cope. It was about her like going to the school board and like telling them they need diversity training and like calling the teachers and doing right. X, Y, and Z. So it was, she was trying to fix a system when her, at the end of the day, her son has to still operate in the system. And like when you try to fix a system, it doesn't, there are no immediate results. And so something that like black people really, really try hard, it's like, okay, so I'm mad that I'm at my PWI and I don't have this resource and this resource and this resource. And so you're so gung ho about like being upset in this white space. And so you go and like you run for this position and you do that or you do that to fix a system, but you never address the issues that like you were upset and so um and like just like using this i mean such a precious little boy as an example it's like at no point was like his emotional state taken into consideration like he after his mom was i don't know you can't always talk to your parents about things and so he felt like the best the easiest way for him or the best way for him to be like most fulfilled in his life was to like to terminate and so like and it really hurts but like that's the reality of suicide and one, I'm not saying that therapy could have saved him, but that was like a step that was missed. And it's like black people just don't think about therapy first. We think about calling someone, calling the, the school board and saying like, why is my son getting kicked out of X, Y, and Z? Like, or um, Jesse was talking in class, like why was he talking in class? Like beating, like just, well, almost, ooh, um, giving Jesse a whooping instead of like saying, okay, like does he have behavioral issues? Like, maybe let's go to therapy and like figure it out. And like at that point figure out, okay, I'm not giving my son enough attention. And so we are so gung-ho on like, going after the white person or going after the system like y'all we gonna be fighting for a long time yeah, so maybe this right take a so. break and take care of yourself like figure out how you're gonna just dwell in the system because honestly like we you can take a break and not fight today and tomorrow and maybe the next day like you, you we, i'm not saying be like kanye west but like you can you don't have to be rosa parks <laughs> and um harriet tubman like every day like you really don't which is just so sad because i mean and this is just, just a statistic coming straight from um mental health site, black people are more are twenty percent more likely to suffer from psychological distress than any other minority group, any other group, not just minority because white people too, out there. And you're right. Most of the time that is the first reaction mm-hmm. if something goes on isn't, okay, what's going on at home mm-hmm. or what, what what's going on if, am I doing something that it, it's usually because I know with my mom specifically anything that happened at school my mom was the first one up there ready to fight whoever mm-hmm. but it was like okay I'm not questioning the full picture I'm just mm-hmm. seeing what you've done to my child not and it's wrong or right too like it's like you can be getting in trouble and they're upset but like when I think about times where like um there was one time they tried to, I was beta president and like some girls were flirting with a waiter at a restaurant. We were at a hard rock cafe downtown for something. And because I was president and I was sitting at the table, they wanted to like demote me for whatever reason, like whatever. Yeah, like stupid stuff like that. Or the fact that like my dual credit courses were like averaged together and like in a way to where I wasn't valedictorian. And so I didn't question those things. And like, but whenever my mom would go to the school over like me being gypped of something or like not understanding like why I wasn't in this or why I wasn't in that after me prompting so much, um, she was never like asking me like if this actually what you want like why do you want this like how does it make you feel that you are just as qualified as your peers and you keep like are you're always on the back burner and it's and I, I mean if we had ever had the conversation I think my emotional state would be drastically different because it's something that I deal with still today like me being so qualified and like so able but people still saying no and it just doesn't make sense just for the sake of no um, but yeah like good or bad like you have to at some point be like okay look in the mirror I don't know I don't know do you have any advice for um, anybody committing suicide right now? Oh, wow. Jesus, Jesse. Not currently committing suicide. Uh, currently thinking about committing suicide. 
Um, that is a heavy, heavy question. And I let me tell you something. I asked Exacia these questions because although, you know, we have just had this conversation, Exacia truly is one of the strongest people that I have met in my entire life. <laughs> and, you know, I would not be doing this. I'm I'm going to say this completely. I would not be doing this right now. You would not be listening to me if it was not for Exacia because I am a person who, and most people don't know this side, you know, in the family, <laughs> my family, whatever. I am a person um, that struggles heavily with being confident in myself, and most people that is a that is a shock when I express something like that because if you see me out, you know I look like I'm usually always smiling, laughing, joking. I'm probably the loudest person in the room. And that's usually not something that you would expect to come out of my mouth. But I am I am a person that deals with um, insecurity issues on a daily basis. And Xaysha, since being my friend, has given me a, so much affirmation in the past, what, three years that... Ever since been, we almost got by that train. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we almost got y'all. Uh, uh, well, you know what's sad? That's not even the first... It is not. Right. Probably won't be the last. Right. <laughs> exactly. Ride now and almost die. But um, yeah, and so, you know, that's why I would love to hear her on this. <laughs> well, um I like the point that Jesse's bringing up, not to sound like cocky, I guess. I don't know, but like if you like share your like mental state, your emotional state with your friends and they don't adapt to like now, and I'm not saying, like, there's no space for pity or, um, like, condescending remarks. Like, if you hear that from any of your friends, like, cut them immediately. Like, they, you, they're just out. But, like, um, if your friends don't adapt and change in order to be able to um, best fit your needs um, as, like, with whatever you have going on, they, you have to reevaluate your friendships. Like, if Jesse tells me, like, okay, like, I want to do this podcast, and, like, he was, like, interning at a radio station, all, of the, all these other things, and I was noticing, like, okay, so, like, Jesse had all these plans for these things, and I remember them, but I don't see him doing the things, and so I was, like, okay, like, what can we do with the podcast? What can we do with X, Y, and Z? So, like, rearranging the way that our friendship dynamic was from, like, going out on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, so, like, okay, like, I'm gonna hound him about X, Y, and Z, you know, and now we're both doing the things that we want to do, but you have to make sure you have people around you who are gonna support you because, you are the people like who like are like you that's it and so if you are feeling low take a look around and maybe they're the people who are pushing you down but um as for the suicide thing um i will say if you know someone who is suicidal um at the end of the day like and this is going to sound morbid there is really nothing that you can do like if once people are like at the point where like they truly and i don't know how to explain it like you truly do feel like not existing is better than like and it's not even like better than like living but like the potential of you having to continue to endure the state for a longer period of time like it's like people know that people who are gonna like who are suicidal are aware that things can get better like someone's saying like things will get better like it always gets better they're very aware they've had good moments in their lives but it's like not knowing how long this like bad spell is gonna last is it's hard and people with depression and anxiety like you don't know or even bipolar disorder you don't know how long your swings are gonna last and so for some people like ending it is better than like having to go through that again and so all you can do is like when they when they are open to sharing with you like accept them with a full heart and don't try to change anyone but, like be the best supportive friend that you can be within like limits and um like that 
like just being supportive and like present and intentional with your support is key. Don't pity them. Don't try to change them. Don't like force an intervention type. Like sometimes it can work, but for the most part, if you have never been in that like really low, like sunken place, like literally just think about like the sunken place and get out, like being that low, who could have saved him whenever he was like drifting into space? Like no one can except for himself. And so um, like, it's all about that person, like finding the strength in themselves, like want to value like experience in life later on more than they like value being able to like be free of like pain right now. And, um, but yeah, there's really like nothing that you can do other than like being a good friend to someone. And also it is not your fight. Like it really sickens me whenever someone has a friend who is either suicidal or like really going through depression or anxiety. And like all of a sudden you are the one that's torn up and you're emotional. Don't, don't do that. Like when people are sharing that stuff with you, like not everyone can handle the crying thing. Like when my friends, I'm talking to my friends about my emotions, you better not cry. Like I, I didn't do this for you. Like, and so you taking all that attention from them and they don't even like get attention all the time to put it on you. Like, that's gross. And, like, posting, making posts about, like, oh, my gosh, I love so-and-so so much, but you aren't interacting with them on a daily basis. You aren't texting them to check in. Like, don't be fake about that stuff. If you don't have the ability to care for people that way, just don't. Like, just don't. And so I guess for people who, like, are in that, like, that are really, really sunken place, like, I'm just going to say, like, you know, there are lots of people who get there, and there are lots of people who, like, choose to leave, like, choose to take their life, and they're, I mean, a, a good amount of people who like choose to say and like endure and um it's just like and this sounds so bad for me to say like saying that it's a decision that you have to make but no one understands like the emotional state that you're in like the trauma that you has put you to this point and so like my only like thing to you is to say that like I think that like the universe creates nothing but beautiful creatures and like I do love you and there's like if you ever feel like okay there's no one for me to talk to and that's what is my issue is like I am available for you to talk to like truly like you can like DM me and text me like we can get together whatever like if that is the issue then like that if it's like I don't like myself type of issue like again you can like speak to me about any of it and I'm not saying I'm like a superhero like I'm my words of affirmation don't do more than anyone else's but I, I can like vow that I'll give you intentional and direct love and not try to change you or not like make you shame you for any of it um but you know, it's just a really, really big decision to make. And people say like, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. But it's people who say that like, don't know how long temporary can be for people who are in that state. But I would just say like, you know, um, really like talk to some, someone about like, get it out because um, bur com like combusting, um, like spontaneously like bur bursting open with emotion is like not the way um, that I would like, would not like to happen. So you have all these unique talents and skills that the world does need or you wouldn't have been created. And I would like really urge you to want to pursue those things um, and see what happens after that. That's it. Well, it was a wonderful conversation. And like Vision just said, if you are listening to whoever's listening <laughs> and you're going through a hard time in your life or you're um, thinking about committing suicide or you're not and it doesn't even have to be um, all the way down to that. It could just be you could just be not feeling good about yourself, not confident about yourself, whatever. Like Avisha said, she's always there to talk. I'm always down to listen or go get coffee. If you know me, I have a large coffee with me on a daily basis. I've got a large coffee with me right now. And so, if you want to go get coffee, you want to go get lunch, we can do that. If you need to call me at the midnight hour, you can do that. We'll give this uh, disclaimer. If it's 3, 4 in the morning, I... I well, no, I'm usually up in the library at 3, 4 in the morning. 
No, you better leave me a voicemail. <laughs> I if, if I ain't up and I don't answer, I'm gonna call you back first thing in the morning. Yeah. And Ignatia will tell you, if I feel like something is wrong, I'm going to keep calling until you answer me and tell me what's up. But I mean, I will hop in my car. I almost hopped in my car on Jesse one time. No, I had no yeah. clue, no clue anything was going on. <laughs> right, exactly. Like don't don't make a pop up happen now. But if you need if if you feel like there's no one there for you right now, um, we will be there for you if need if you need us. Um, so yeah, and then I know when I post this up, um, you know, usually I post it, usually I videotape this. But first of all, we didn't know we were going this long, I, so I didn't even check out the what you call thing. But I will be posting. You know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to us, maybe like if you're committing suicide, if you're thinking about committing suicide, I don't know why. I keep Anyways, thinking about it, I would be posting, you know, numbers and stuff like that if for emergency purposes. Also, and he like mentioned this like briefly just a second ago, but you feeling like, okay, I have a lot going on, like maybe I need to talk to someone. When you have that little bitty bit of a thought, like maybe I need to talk to someone, do it then. Right. Because don't wait until it gets to like like a severe point. Like you can like get better earlier on. Like if you start coughing, you can start taking cold medicine. You don't have to wait until you have the, the flu. Right. You know. And also for anybody who's, you know, thinking otherwise, you're worth it. You are um, worth somebody taking the time out to listen. Um, and like Ignatius said, you're all beautiful out there. And so, um, yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Not bye.